Welcome to the award-winning Untold Podcast, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. We're still here. I know it's been a minute, but we're hanging on. Between a new baby, moving to New York, and receiving a call to pastor another church, it's been jam-packed, to say the least. We're not going anywhere, though. We still have stories to tell, and in case you missed it, our previous story, The Iron Gate by Brian Augustine from The World of Bitter Souls, won a Realm Makers Award. So thanks for sticking with us during this hectic time. And today's story is also from The World of Bitter Souls by Chuck Satterley. And for those of you who keep score at home, it is still my favorite fictional universe. But this time, the story is by me. Go to New York, New York, where the lights light up the show. Nathan James Norman is a husband, father, and a pastor. He is the lead pastor of First Baptist Church of Terrytown in Terrytown, New York, home of the Headless Horseman. He also serves as an instructor and podcast host with Crosstalk Global. In addition to ministry, he is an author, narrator, and award-winning audio producer. You can find his blog at www.nathanjamesnorman.com. His sermons are posted weekly at www.fbcterrytown.org. Check the show notes for all the direct links. Today's story originally appeared in the Of Bitter Souls omnibus by Chuck Satterley and Norm Brayfogle. Our cover art is by Jeremy Meegert. So now, without further ado, The Untold Podcast presents Episode 111 of Bitter Souls, The Wolf of Acadiana by Nathan James Norman. This story takes place directly after the events of Issue Number 4. The legends say the Rougarou has plagued the New Orleans bayous for centuries. With the body of a man and the head of a wolf, it has the appetite of a monster. Human flesh. One version of the legend says a Rougarou is born when a cursed man consumes the flesh of another man. Another says the creature manifests around the time of Lent to hunt down any Catholics who violate the holy time. Still another says the Rougarou is a creature that has passed its curse from one man to another since the very founding of New Orleans. It is said the curse of the Rougarou is transferred when the creature bites a man without killing him. As they sat under the awning of the Café du Monde, Pastor Secord placed his hand on Samson's shoulder. But I have a feeling you're going to be fine. Samson broke eye contact with the pastor. <sighs> I never knew the pain I caused others. Now it's all I can feel. Secord sat back in his chair. A waitress brought over a cup and saucer and gestured to the coffee carafe in her other hand. The pastor smiled and nodded. After setting the cup down and filling it, the waitress said, I'll be back to get your order. Uh, thank you, Secord said as she walked away. When Secord picked up the cup, his smile dropped as he turned back to his downtrodden student. 
You were given unnatural strength as your gift. But strength isn't only physical. He took a sip. There is a word that is often misused today. Meekness. It doesn't mean weak. It means power under control. Meekness is what a horse that could trample a man to death has when it allows a child to ride safely. He placed the cup back down. You can use your gift to make those misusing their strength to feel the pain they have caused others. It hurts, but it is a gift to you and to those you use it upon. It ensures that you will never again misuse your strength against others. It gives the strong meekness. That night, near the sugarcane fields and the deep woodlands in Greater New Orleans, the Rougarou stalked. It hunted along the row of waterside homes built decades before that were being slowly reclaimed by the ever-changing waters. Driven almost entirely by instinct, the creature retained just enough human intelligence to stalk its prey in the shadows. It remembered something. A partner. His secrets. Why was he here? Money. He needed to collect the money for his partner from someone. A car door slammed. His wolf ears could hear a calm, rhythmic heartbeat. Sweet perfume and sweet, tender meat filled his nostrils. A woman walked alone toward a dark house. For a moment, the Rougarou thought, Don't eat her. Don't eat her. But the wolf inside prevailed. Samson sulked around the rectory for two days. He was troubled. Job, Mags, and Salome were sure of it. But Samson wouldn't talk to anyone about anything. He just wandered around, looking like he needed to talk, but not actually engaging anyone in conversation. When Samson began brooding in the foyer of the church, Salome rallied the rest of the bitter souls. As they approached him, he stared at the brushed concrete floor. Come on, big guy. Salome put a hand on his shoulder. He didn't respond. Look, it's not like we don't all have a past. We can't change any of that, but we can do better today and tomorrow too. Mags chimed in. It might help if you came to church once in a while. A flare of annoyance sparked in Samson's mind, like a mosquito bite. He stood up. I do go to church. It only counts if you stay awake. Mags reached up and patted him on the shoulder. The front door opened. In walked a woman. She was older, maybe mid-fifties, trim and shapely. Her skin was a warm tan, and her hair was black, curly, and down past her shoulders. She gave a polite smile to the four. Excuse me, I'm looking for Pastor Secord. 
Job, silent during this awkward intervention, offered, I'll see if he's available. As he walked through the sanctuary and down a hallway, Job considered shape-shifting into the pastor. He put the thought aside, though. Who in the world would willingly take on the role of a pastor? It was bad enough living in a church. He found Secord in his office, a rather understated study with a desk, a number of overfilled bookshelves, and several well-worn leather chairs. <laughs> I guess we're your secretaries now. Secord glanced up from the book he was reading. Is that so? Yeah, there's this lady in front looking for you. What's her name? Secord asked. Oh, George looked down the hall. I don't know. I should have gotten her name. Not a very good secretary then, Job. The pastor chuckled. You are aware the secretary is the most powerful person in the church. Job wasn't buying it. <sighs> what did she look like? An older lady, but man! Job transformed into the image of the woman. Smoking hot! The pastor shook his head. Job transformed back into himself. Oh, yeah, sorry. Is it okay to, you know, notice that sort of thing? Secord smiled and stood. Of course, Job. It is only wrong to reduce people's beauty into mere objects for our own gratification, instead of seeing them as sisters or mothers. The pastor paused. And that's Ms. Landry. Please send her in. I honestly don't know why you keep coming to this church, Renee. Pastor Secord sat across from Ms. Landry. There's better homileticians much closer to where you live. I could give you several recommendations. I keep telling you, Pastor. There might be better preachers out there, but there's something special here. Some extra blessing and some goodness that goes far beyond ability. She smiled, then winked. <laughs> Even if you put me to sleep sometimes. A laugh slipped out of Secord. <laughs> Thank you, Renee. This indeed is a house of rest. He leaned forward. But you didn't come to give me sermon criticism. Tell me, why are you here? There's something happening out in the bayou, Pastor. Ms. Landry inhaled deeply. I keep trying to tell myself it's nothing, but I know it's not. She placed her fingertips on her forehead. A couple of nights ago, I got this feeling, like the exact opposite of the one I get when I'm here. Bringing her hand down, tears welled up. One of my neighbors went missing last night. You need to call the police, Secord said. No, I tried. But they know Jeannie. She has a habit of, <laughs> well, a lot of habits. They think she's off on a bender or with a rich John. I know it's hard, but that's probably what it is, Secord said. No, there's something evil out there. I can smell it, Ms. Landry snapped. Secord put his hands up, not expecting the outburst, but intrigued by a detail. Renee, what do you mean you can smell it? The last two nights, the whole neighborhood smells like wet dog and sulfur. After praying with his parishioner and assuring her he would have someone investigate, 
Secord sent the bitter souls into the bayou. Mags drove their unimpressive church bus west into the Acadiana region toward the neighborhood of Rene Landry. As they traveled, the roads deteriorated, eventually becoming pockmarked dirt roads. Mags pulled the bus to the side of the road when they came to a wooden bridge with the sign, Weight Limit, Two Tons. Well, that's us. Mags turned off the bus. <sighs> Come on. A pickup truck weighs at least three tons. I can guarantee the locals have been ignoring that sign for years. Samson objected. Mags removed the key from the ignition and opened the door. Everybody out. As the doors slid open, the stench of sulfur and wet dog filled the bus. <sighs> I guess we're in the right place. Job covered his nose. The four stepped into twilight. The light of the bayou quickly faded to night. <sighs> what exactly are we looking for? Job asked, still holding his nose. From the smell of it, either some demon dog or a dog made out of rotten eggs. Mags began walking across the bridge to the first line of dilapidated houses. She turned to the team. According to Ms. Landry, there's about a square mile to cover. This thing is hunting for meat. We'd better fan out and find it before it finds someone else. Let's meet back here in three hours. Three hours. Samson had three hours to save a life by stopping a monster. The night was still early, but no one walked on the dirt roads. No one visited with their neighbors on their front porches. Strange. Back when Samson was plainclothes officer Winston Fontenot, he walked through a dozen neighborhoods like this one, deep in the bayou or out in the sugar fields. Separated from the rest of society, just enough to get away with almost anything if you were smart about it. How many gangbangers had Fontenot used as drug or money mules in places like this? How many kids corrupted? How many families ruined? Samson rubbed the NOPD tattoo on his left bicep. As he walked between a line of shanties, he saw nothing. Other than the pervasive smell, there was no sign of the creature. But everything was quiet. Even the peepers were still. Around a bend, a black car was idling in the middle of the road with the driver's side door open. The BMW 3 Series was far too rich a car for this place. In fact, it looked just like the one his old boss used to drive. Samson glanced inside. No driver. Can I help you? A familiar voice growled at Samson. The large man turned. There was LaRue, the man who took Samson under his wing, the one who showed him how to traffic money and people. LaRue's blue eyes were duller, his hair thinner, and his body doughier than three years ago. But it was the same man. Same poor-fitted, expensive suit. Same stench of aqua velva. Same arrogant swagger. Hey, I asked you a question, retard! LaRue shouted. Samson stepped away from the car and his old partner. The senior detective glanced into his car, flipped his badge out on his belt loop, and stepped toward Samson. 
What are you doing out here tonight, F-Wad? Where do you live? Samson was suddenly Winston Fontenot again. Self-confident, but also terrified of LaRue. He'd seen the horrors this man was capable of, and he'd heard even worse. You hear me? LaRue shouted, reaching for his piece. Samson put up his hands. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I, I, I'm just out walking. Yeah? Where you live? Just over there. Samson gestured in the general directions of New Orleans. Okay, face. You seen this guy around here? LaRue pulled a picture from his jacket. He's my partner. He was out here looking for one of your neighbors. Little Creole kid goes by the name Skinny-O. He owes the NOPD a payment. Samson's mind snapped back to the present. I haven't seen either of them. But even if I did, I wouldn't tell a corrupt badge like you. LaRue's eyes narrowed. He put the picture back in his jacket. Say, do I know you? Yeah, in a different life. Samson held his hands up near his chest in surrender. A different life I remember, and you never will. Samson jumped at LaRue. The detective reached for his sidearm. But as his hands wrapped around the grip, Samson's hands wrapped around the temples of LaRue's head. Memories began flooding into LaRue's mind. Samson could see them as they flooded his former partner's thoughts. More than that though, LaRue could feel these memories and images. They weren't his own memories. They were the memories and experiences and pain of his victims. LaRue felt bloody noses, gut punches, and lost teeth. He felt the fear of store owners paying protection money, the helplessness of meth heads and coke addicts. He screamed as his pinky was chopped off. Tears poured from his eyes as hunger and starvation overcame him. His body was violated over and over, more times than he could count. Finally, after a lifetime of pain, Samson removed his hands from the detective's head. Blood trickled from LaRue's left nostril. His body shook violently. Samson knew what he was going through. Pastor Secord had done the same to him. The transformed Samson. The terrible curse of experiencing all of your victim's pain. That terrible moment had utterly transformed Samson, giving him a compassion he never knew before. LaRue blinked. He noticed the blood. Whatever, the detective said and wiped it away with his sleeve. He reached into his jacket again and pulled out a business card, handing it to Samson. If you see my partner, give me a call. I'll cut you in. But, Samson said, LaRue pushed past the big man and slipped into his car. I've got to go. I got a date with one of your little whores down here. He winked and closed the door. The black car rolled down the dirt road.
The ride back to the church was quiet. Job and Salome had found the creature. They prevented the wolf monster from attacking a man coming home from work, but they lost it in the swamp. They arrived back at the church early in the morning, shortly after sunrise. He had the head of a wolf, but like a big wolf. Everything else was a man. And yeah, I mean a man. Most of his clothes were torn to pieces. Job explained to Secord in the pastor's study. Salome wrinkled her nose. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. I'm just glad it was dark. Mags rolled her eyes. I've seen worse. She turned to the pastor. Do you know what we're up against? Secord frowned. Mm, yes and no. He sat down behind his desk. It sounds like a rougarou, but I don't know much about them. There's several stories about what they are. Some think they're a demon that stalks our Catholic friends. Others say that it is a curse passed down through the centuries, person to person. And there's many more. But I'm not sure if it's a supernatural creature or a cursed man. What difference does it make? Job shook his head. We find it and we put it down. Secord frowned again. If it's a supernatural creature, yes. Destroy it from this plane of existence. But if it is a cursed man, you need to at least try to break the curse. And how do we do that? Mags asked. I don't know. The pastor shook his head. I'll see if I can find anything. But you four need to get some rest before you head back out tonight. Job, Mags, and Salome left the study. Samson hesitated at the door. Pastor Secord stood, walked around his desk, and gestured to one of the chairs. Go ahead and sit. He hesitated again, but relented and sat down. The pastor moved a chair so he would be sitting directly in front of Samson. Finally, from the silence, Samson said, I saw my old partner, my boss LaRue tonight. Out in Acadiana? Yeah, right in the middle of the road. He was looking for his partner. I guess the guy he replaced me with after I was... Erased from human memory, Secord offered. Yeah, that. Yeah. Samson looked up. I confronted him. And you used your powers on him? <laughs> I tried to, Samson said. But they didn't work. They didn't? Secord asked. Well, they did. I saw everything. I mean everything LaRue had done to people. It was worse than I imagined. He looked at Secord. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to have nightmares about it. Samson shook his head. And I know he felt everything. Felt all the pain of his victims like I... Like I did. But the results for him were not the same for you, were they? <sighs> no. Samson exhaled. He just shrugged it off like it didn't even matter. I don't understand. I know what I did was horrible, but the things he did were far worse. Seeing it, feeling it, should have crippled him. Secord leaned forward in his chair. Son, there are natural-born wolves in this world. Men and women whose consciences are so seared that they know the pain they've inflicted on others, and they just don't care. Then why did it work on me? Because... Secord lowered his eyes. You were enticed, corrupted. The wolves brought you into the fold slowly over the years, slowly transforming you. They damaged the Imago Dei within you, but it was not destroyed. 
So are you saying there are some people absolutely beyond redemption? <laughs> That's surprising coming from a pastor. Secord looked up again. Tears filled his eyes. No, anyone can be redeemed. But some people will refuse to seek it out. I just can't sleep during the day, Job yawned. The next evening, the bitter souls traveled again into the Acadiana region. From the front of the bus, Mag shouted back, It shouldn't matter what time of day it is. Our rooms in the rectory don't have windows. My eyes don't know, but my brain can tell. Job adjusted his sunglasses. And keeping normal hours is a key part of healthy living. Salome smiled. I don't think this life of ours is entirely healthy. Mags shouted back again. Healthier than anything we had before. Once again, Mags parked the bus near the two-ton weight limit sign. And once again, the team fanned out to different parts of the Bayou community. The Rougarou stalked Ms. Landry as she walked down the dirt road near the water's edge. It was careful to avoid the patches of moonlight in the road. The moss-covered cypress trees cast plenty of shadows for him to move unnoticed. The hunger grew within him. He innately knew that for this curse to pass, he needed to leave a victim alive. His last two victims, though, he consumed down to the marrow of the bones. The hunger compelled him. The hunger burned within him. The woman was close. It took everything within him to continue at a slow pace. Some alien instinct told him to stalk, stalk, stalk. But the same instinct told him to eat, eat, eat. His own voice, the human one, tried to fight the urge to eat, to bite and run. But the hunger took over. The Rougarou stepped out of the shadows charged forward and ripped into Ms. Landry's shoulder. <laughs> Job screamed when the Rougarou clamped onto his shoulder. He immediately shapeshifted back to his own form. The creature hesitated for a moment, but its confusion soon passed. It snapped at Job's neck, barely missing. Salome, help! Job called. Rather, he started to call. But just as he called to his teammate, his words began moving backward. Then his scream re-entered his mouth. The creature walked backward into the shadow of the cypress. At this point, Salome resumed the normal flow of time. She shouted, over there, under the tree. Job, still disguised as Ms. Landry, turned. He began shifting back into his own form, but Samson charged past him. Uh, hey, yo! Uh, here we go, microphone check. One, two, one, two. I said microphone check. One, two. <laughs> the strong man leapt into the shadow and grabbed the Rougarou by the throat. 
Then he grabbed one of the creature's arms, wrenched it behind, and swept its legs out from under it. The Rougarou howled and struggled against Samson. It would have succeeded in knocking the man off, but then Mags stood in front of it. Her eyes began to glow. Then a bright aura blazed around her. She said, you will tell us who you are and how you came to be like this. Something broke inside the Rougarou. A barrier fell, and the creature lost control of the man trapped inside. Tears began falling from the wolf's eyes. He stopped struggling against Samson as he was compelled by Mags to speak. <laughs> I'm Detective Davis. I'm Norland's PD. I came down into the bayou because Skinny O owed me money. Owed us money. Who's us? Mags still glowed with intensity. My partner, LaRue. He sent me down here after the payment the Creole kid owed us. But before I made it to his house... The wolf head began to cry. Samson released the Rougarou entirely. You got bit by a wolf. The wolfman nodded through sobs. Mags pressed him. What other evil have you done? And I don't mean as the Rougarou. The creature hesitated, but then blood trickled from his nose. There's a whole section in the NOPD. Not everyone, but... But enough. We have a whole system to launder money, run drugs, and move prostitutes in and out. He trailed off. The blood from his nose began to flow. How? Mags screamed, and the light of her power illuminated the bayou street. Salome put a hand on Mags's shoulder. That's enough. Without looking away from the wolf Davis, Mags screamed. You have no idea what they do to those women and children. A single gunshot echoed in the night. The bullet hit the Rougarou in the middle of his forehead. The creature's muzzle began to shrink. The hair around his face began falling off like lizard scales. Blood poured out of the now human face of Davis. <laughs> I'm sorry. Davis gurgled through blood before his eyes glazed over in the blank stare of death. The team turned as Mags's illumination extinguished. In the dark din of the moonlit night stood LaRue, his gun still drawn. Blood dripped onto the dirt road from a gash in his right forearm, and he was using his other hand to stabilize his aim. I told you to call me if you found him, F-Wad. Samson growled. He was your partner. Yeah, and now he's not. LaRue began firing in calculated precision. Bullets hit Samson and Job. As LaRue pointed at Mags and squeezed the trigger, time stopped and began moving backward. Once again, Salome used her powers to turn time backward. One by one, the bullets re-entered the chamber of LaRue's gun. As time flowed back, Salome kept her eyes on the crooked detective. She pushed time backward, backward, until LaRue walked back behind the corner of the street. 
With a gasp, Salome released her hold, and time began moving forward again. We have a little system to launder money. Mags, I know everything he's done. Follow me! Salome interrupted the confession of the wolf. Hesitating for less than a second, Mags pulled away, her radiating light receding and chased after Salome. Rounding a dilapidated hovel and a large cypress, the two almost ran into LaRue. <laughs> well, hello, ladies, the detective smiled. Let me tell you both what you can do to help the New Orleans Police Department. He flashed his teeth as his smile grew bigger. Salome turned to Mags. Tell him he found his partner and killed him. LaRue's smile dropped. What the? Before the detective could continue, the burning light of Mags returned. You found your partner, shot him, and hid his body in the bayou. As Mags burned this thought into the consciousness of LaRue, his jaw slacked open. Mags hesitated. She wanted to implant more, make him confess to all his crimes, make him never want to hurt another woman again, never able to hurt another woman again. But instead, she said, you lost the money Davis gave you, got scraped up in the swamp, and you're so exhausted you just want to go home. She could bring some vengeance to LaRue now, but it would disrupt and pale the justice that would one day come to him. The illumination around Mags faded. LaRue blinked, and without acknowledging either Mags or Salome, turned and walked back the other way. When Mags and Salome returned, they saw Davis had returned to his human form. We'll drop you off at the FBI, Job said as Mags and Salome rejoined them. And I guess we'll be here every night to find out whoever you passed it along to. How'd this happen? How'd he turn back? Salome asked. Maybe it was from the power of Mags, or maybe he bit someone and passed it along, Job shrugged. So we'll be camping out here for a few nights. He paused, then smiled. Maybe we can set up with Ms. Landry. Samson shook his head. But for now, we're dropping Davis at the feds. If he's lucky, they'll set him up with a new identity in North Dakota or something. must have passed the curse on to someone else, Secord told the bitter souls after they returned to the earth. Mags simply does not have that kind of power. Job shook his head. So, we put down evil only for another to take its place. Salome shrugged. <laughs> That's just the way of things, isn't it? Evil is relentless, always present. Mags nodded her head. No, Samson said. Justice comes for evil. It always comes. Justice is relentless. It hunts and hunts. And I don't think... He inhaled. I don't think evil men and creatures can survive for long. Yeah. Then why is it everywhere? Why is history defined by the wars and conflicts? Mags asked. Samson frowned. <laughs> because we're dumb, I guess. Justice has come for every tyrant, every crooked cop. 
he reached down and placed his hand on Mags's shoulder. But people still think they can get away with it. They think they're smarter. They think they're better. A dictator falls and a different one takes his place. But justice always comes. Mags looked down. <laughs> yeah, well, I wish it would come a little faster. One final version of the legend says the Rougarou is created by a witch. The witch calls a curse upon herself, and this curse transforms her into the creature every night for a month. Fully in control of the animal nature, the witch hunts down and bites her victim. The victim turns into the Rougarou, overcome with an insatiable appetite for human flesh, and only able to be rid of the curse by biting a victim of its own to pass on the curse. Aruguru walked through the Acadiana Bayou with purpose and intention. Her body aged and sagging. As she approached a modest home along the water, she paused next to the front door. A worn pink bathrobe hung on the doorknob. With an inaudible grunt, the Rougarou transformed. The old woman slipped into the bathrobe and entered her home. A young Creole kid looked up from the sofa and turned off the TV. He ran up to the old woman. <laughs> we showed them, Mimo. There ain't no PD coming down here no more, and we get to keep the money. We showed them. He wrapped his arms around her. The old woman pushed her grandson away. I showed them. She glared at her grandson. You hid in my home, ate my food, and watched my TV. Okay, okay, well, it's over now, the kid said. Maybe for you. But for me, there is a price for using my master's power. The witch pointed to the door. Now get out before he arrives. Walking through the halls of his condo complex, LaRue was exhausted. All he wanted to do was sleep. But there was another desire that competed with his fatigue. He could smell his neighbors behind the doors of their homes. The doors were flimsy. So flimsy. LaRue knew he could break right through. All he wanted to do was eat.
that was our story. I hope you liked it. I tried to put together a story that struggled with grace and justice, the horrific tragedy of rejected redemption. This podcast is a proud member of Culture Box. You've heard of subscription boxes like HelloFresh, Loot Crate, or Butcher Block. And while their assortments may satisfy your hunger for food and fancy, what about your mind and heart? Enter Culture Box, a curated collection of podcasts, videos, and articles that will provide you a balanced meal of content. You will find culture celebrated for its past and future, satirized for its extremes, explored in study, and created anew in story. All for the price of free. Whether you enjoy geeky reviews, comedy, or original fiction, you can open up the culture box and find something excellent for your soul. Point your web browser to culturebox.media. One of the shows is Retro Rewind Podcast. Every other week, join the Retro Rewind Podcast as they travel back 15 or more years along the entertainment space-time continuum in their mission to review movies and games, establishing what is still worth your time today. Expect fun banter and trivial insights from Francisco, Paul, and rotating guest hosts who are all out of time. You can find this and so much more over at www.culturebox.media. Please remember to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, blog about us, leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find us, support us on Patreon, and tell your friends. The Untold Podcast has been funded by Jason Brannon, J.D. Rempel, Richard Zong, Jen Finelli, Parker J. Cole, Laura Van Arendonk Ba, Mike and Andra Williams, Spirit Blade Productions, The Retro Rewind Podcast, Amanda St. John, Aaron Huey, and Nemo Turambar. Thanks for supporting us during the dry season, and thank you to all our past supporters as well. Leading us out this time is Rusty Ship with Tenenim, a Hebrew sea monster of chaos, off their album Dark Side of the Ocean. Until next time, I'm Nathan James Norman, reminding you, anyone can be redeemed, but some people will refuse to seek it out. (laughs) 